Co-chair Dr. Dan Miller from Gillette, I would like to welcome you to the Arabella Elite Young Members Forum for the 2021 POSNA Annual Meeting. Traditionally, our discussions about work-life balance dynamics have always come from the perspective of the surgeon. At this year's forum, we wanted to take a different perspective, that of the family. This section will be focused on spouses or partners of pediatric orthopedic surgeons and how we may create institutional changes to support work-life balance within our fields and our families. We hope to explore some of the pitfalls and strategies for keeping family life afloat, especially in these turbulent times uh, that COVID has presented. We'll next uh, go on and introduce our wonderful and expert panel. First, we have Jennifer Weiss, Assistant Chief of Orthopedic Surgery, Los Angeles Medical Center, Kaiser Permanente. She is currently on the AOS Board of Directors and has served on the boards of POSNA and Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society. She speaks regularly on issues of equity and wellness in orthopedics. She is the daughter of an orthopedic surgeon born and raised in the beautiful state of New Jersey and trained at Baylor. She's a mother of two daughters and one son, and she's a well-known Peloton fiend, and you can friend her at My Mom the Surgeon. Richard Zane is professor and chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. He's also the chief innovation officer of UC Health. He's an internationally known expert in the field of mass casualty and emergency preparedness, and he's led the COVID response for the University of Colorado this year, vaccinating more than 700,000 Colorado residents, although not personally. Rich is an avid uh, skier. He enjoys touring with friends on his Indian motorcycle, and he and Shaban have three kids, Jake, 23, Gabby, 18, and Robert, 15. My colleague, Dr. Jennifer Lane, is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon at Gillette Children's Specialty Healthcare. When Jennifer isn't performing arthrograms or inducing perthes in pigs, she enjoys spending time with her kids, Philip and Maddie. A little known secret about Jennifer is that she's a scratch golfer of our orthopedic staff and was the former captain at Harvard. Her husband, Dr. Lou Cole, is an interventional cardiologist at Hennepin County Medical Center. Uh, he is the only practicing interventional cardiologist I know who still drives a 1999 Toyota Camry. In addition to being a great doctor, father, and friend, Lou is an avid biker, whether it be road, gravel, or fat tires in the Minnesota snow. Jay Albright and his wife, Stacy Albright, are here. Jay is the son also of an orthopedic surgeon and trained in Iowa. He and Stacy lived in Florida for many years when he was at Arnold Palmer before moving to Colorado about eight years ago with their two children, Reese and Jackson. Jay is the director of the sports medicine program at Children's Hospital Colorado. And Jackson, his son, just followed Jay's footsteps to college at Michigan this past year. Dr. Amy McIntosh is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon at Scottish Rite Hospital for Children in Dallas, Texas, where she is simultaneously an expert in limb deformity, pediatric spine surgery, and sports medicine. I'm still trying to figure out at least one of those. Amy is the only youper I know within uh, POSNA, having been born and raised on the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Her husband, Rich, formerly worked as a sales manager before taking leave to take care of their two children, Quincy and Campbell. Rich has a love of anything with wheels, including his current fling, a souped-up Jeep Wrangler, and simultaneously coaches flag football, softball, and basketball, the triple threat of pediatric sports. So we're going to start with our questions with Rich McIntosh and Stacy Albright. What would you guys say is the most challenging thing about being married to a pediatric orthopedic surgeon? Rich, you want to start? And such impressive pediatric <laughs> orthopedic surgeons, no less. <laughs> Time availability is probably the, the most difficult thing. 
trying to plan out your schedule for the holidays or vacations, and then keeping in mind the talk schedule and work schedule, that can be, that can be difficult. It sounds like you're pretty busy too, doing all your uh, coaching. So trying to fit all that in. Right. Our kids are very, very active. So Basically, when they my free time is, if you want to call it free time, is until they get out of school. And then after school, uh, they're both in athletics almost every day. And uh, we have to coordinate our, our schedules to get them to and from places. And then they typically compete in sports throughout the weekend. But it's fun. That's, what, that's why you have kids. Yeah. All right. That's true. Go ahead, Stacey. I completely agree with the timing issue. Um, Basically, I just don't depend on Jay at all. <laughs> I just know I have to be fully in charge. And if I need any backup, then I need to call other people. <laughs> and he's my, he's my last go-to as if I'm like in a, in a bind and I can't do it. I know I really can't do it. Then I will reach out to him if I have not found anybody else. And it's hard. You have to have your own network to have your own backup that way. And it's completely, and most, and most of my friends are not married to doctors or whatnot. So it's not so easy for them to, to relate to me whatsoever. I'm basically a single mom. Mm -hmm. And what is one thing, Stacy? we'll start with you that Jay could do that would make things easier for you. <laughs> one thing <laughs> I, I suppose when he says no I'm on my way home that he really means it <laughs> then I get a call a half hour later oh somebody stopped me in the hospital on the way out sorry now I'm on my way home you know I'm like mm -hmm. why don't you just call me when you're in the car and you're actually driving home then I know you're on your way home we'll have a follow-up question for you go ahead Rich McIntosh yeah I guess after all this time, the one thing that wears on me is uh, the meeting schedule, like uh, especially the traveling meetings. It seems like a lot of them are just the same meeting, just a different acronym. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that actually on the family side of it is it's a big time vacuum because it, it really doesn't take from, from Amy's PTO, but it's still, she's not there. So when she's, so when she's not at work, she wants to come back and perform at work. And then that makes it a little tougher for us to do vacations. Obviously during the last year, that's a little different. Kind of hoping that uh, maybe some of that holds true in, in future years. Not that I want her to stop going to any meetings that we're currently talking about <laughs> or on. Mm -hmm. Jay, and we'll flip back to Amy. I guess after hearing Stacy's response, <laughs> our next question was going to be, is there anything you wish you had done differently? I would say that uh, I always have wanted to be better than my father. Yeah. And I don't mean that he was bad. I just mean that he was always there for the important things for me when I had a game or when I had some event at school. But uh, when I mean I was always wanted to be better than that, I always wanted to be more present. I don't know if I've attained that. I've maybe not <laughs> here, but uh, you know, I I, I think that uh, uh, family. If there's anything that ever is a problem, like uh, you know, my child needs one of my children needs to go to the hospital, or like Reese, my daughter had a state cheer competition for JV that they won, by the way. So uh, you know, I want to be there for those every part of those things and everything that I can possibly be there for, and so. Uh, I don't think I've done as good of a job as I could. And I think that would be the best thing that I would say is that taking more time to be 
present at home is is certainly something that would be the answer for that one. But you've done a good job, though. She's she's trying to she's trying, trying to, to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Amy, you're kind of a little bit younger on for the people who are just starting out or don't even have kids yet. Is there anything that you would do differently, or maybe something that you've changed as as uh, over time that you recognize has worked? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody can tell, like, obviously during working hours, which, you know, basically is like from 6 a.m. till, I don't know, 7 or 8 p.m. for me, Rich basically understands that I am not a reliable parent. So he knows that if the school calls or the kids need something, like, I'm very unlikely to pick up my phone or answer because I'm either operating on somebody else's child or I'm in clinic, you know, banging through 45 or 50 patients, all of who have children that I'm trying to actively help. And he is super gracious about that. And he, he gets that I am not the responsible parent at that time. But then I feel like when I do get home, I really try to invest And so I think that we try really hard to have a semblance of a family meal. Like, and we all try to sit down and talk about our day and say what the best part of our day was and the worst part of our day. I really love helping my kids do homework, which might seem totally nerdy, but I feel like that is a way I can contribute and spend some quality time with them. And I, because of my excessive amounts of education and freakishly good at like math and science compared to other sixth grade and third grade parents. So we can like knock that out of the park and the kids really like spending that time with me. And then I always try to be there to, you know, put the kids to bed at night, unless I'm obviously on call that night. And there's like a pulse of super or something that you are fixing. And then I am also very cognizant of the fact that he is putting a lot of effort forth during the week. And so on the weekends, if he needs some time to himself to just, you know, kind of decompress, I'm completely cognizant of that. And like, like, cool, like, you know, you go take a little time for yourself. And if I had to do anything differently, um, I took a lot of call when I was first in practice, I took call Q3 uh, for seven years. Um, and that was a lot. I would, I bet Rich would say that was a lot. And I only took four weeks off for maternity leave when our daughter was born. And Rich had just had a transpenoidal pituitary resection for a, um, ACTH secreting pituitary tumor. And he was in adrenal insufficiency and he felt crappy. And I probably would not do that again. That was right. That was just, probably not the right thing to do with, but I felt like I needed to get back to work just because of the call schedule and other circumstances. So if I had to do one thing over in my whole career, I would have taken more time on my maternity leave. And I don't know what Rich thinks about that. That's a perfect plug, uh, Amy, for uh, Dr. Weiss is giving a presentation as part of our young member forum on the importance of parental leave. Uh, within orthopedics, not just for female orthopedic surgeons, but also for for dads too, because oftentimes one of the best things that that uh, we can do for society for mothers is, is supporting parental leave. 
uh, paternal leave as well. Uh, but you brought up a really, really important point in t- just in terms of the idea of call and how stressful call can be, both for the young orthopedic surgeon starting out as well as the family surrounding them. So Dr. Cole and Dr. Lane, uh, Dr. Lane, you're an orthopedic surgeon. Dr. Cole, you're a cardiologist. You both take level one urgent call. There can be emergencies at any moment. How do you guys deal with that uncertainty? What sort of contingency planning do you do? Um, and what sort of strategies have you come up with in terms of dealing with that stress and uncertainty, both during the week and on weekends? In short, we have two nannies. I don't think we could do it without two nannies. Our schedules are unpredictable. And as Amy suggested, there are times when we're each just not available because we are in procedures or in the midst of something hairy that we can't leave immediately. And we've set up almost a residency-like call schedule with our nannies and that they are available from 6.30 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. And that has worked for us and calls terrible. We yo-yo back and forth between, we go six to 12 months where we try to avoid being on call at the same time and that's terrible then we never see each other because three out of the four weekends a month one of us is on call and then the next 12 months we try to overlap and lean on parents to take care of the kids on the weekends and then that gets burdensome on parents and so forth and then we go back and it yings and yangs (laughs) we spend a lot of time comparing calendars and figuring out what what lines up, what doesn't. I would say maybe once a month or every six weeks, we'll realize on a Tuesday that we're both on call on a Thursday and then have a massive scramble. And, you know, sometimes we can have one of our nannies spend the night with us, kind of depending on the nanny, or we, we lean on Lou's parents a lot. So it's it's nice to have family around too. But I would say that for, for both of us, we, we really work to build in a lot of flexibility, knowing that we both are unpredictable and can run late, even just on a daily basis. Dr. Zane, you've, um, you know, from an administrative standpoint and institutional leadership standpoint within your department, I'm sure you have many trainees or, or faculty who work with you who are dual doctor families or dual professional families. What sort of things have you instituted or promoted from a uh, organizational standpoint to help success within the family unit? One approach that we've had, which has been successful, may not sound like rocket science, but it's really about normalization, uh, which means that there is no magic bullet. There is no secret sauce. Um, This is really hard and family comes first. So we have dual career pairs in the same department, dual career professionals in different departments. And it's very important that we simply have a transparent understanding of what expectations are. Um, we don't try and, and sugarcoat it and say, this is easy. We know that it's hard, um, but there's a lot of confounding variables that go to a, so, to, to help and support. Um, we also try and eliminate extra curricular obligations. And we do that very significantly and very specifically. So meetings after seven o'clock at night are not a reward. Uh, Going out to dinner with faculty is not a reward. We try very hard to not have those events unless they're extremely special. Maybe there's a visiting professor of the universe and that's the only thing that we can do uh, with that visiting professor of the universe. But um, we don't go out and say, let's go out and have drinks and talk about your career. Let's go out and have, you know, 
do something after hours because we know that there are obligations that take priority at home. And we won't, don't want anybody to be in the position of saying, I'm going to let down the chair by not going or I'm going to let down my family. So we've eliminated all of those types of events because they, they create competing priorities that people have to apologize for. So we've gotten rid of all of those. And we also have made it very clear that you don't have to make something up to say you're going to your daughter's field hockey game at three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, you're a parent. And if you're going to go to your daughter's field hockey game, good for you. We have no expectation that you're not going to get your job done. We know that your job is going to get done and you're an adult. It's about normalizing these conversations and about giving people permission to have their families be prioritized, which they should. I really appreciate that. I feel like one of the constant struggles of young members is, uh, you know, when you're at work, you're guilty you're not with your family. And when I'm with my family at home, you feel guilty that you're not doing work uh, or those other sort of extracurriculars that are always there. Um, so that's really thoughtful in that approach. Dr. Weiss, uh, your practice environment is a little atypical from the, from the uh, I guess, the normal POSNA membership in terms of working at Kaiser versus like an academic children's hospital. What things about that practice environment do you uh, see that make life more healthy, more manageable from sort of an organizational standpoint? How can we maybe translate some of those things into, our, into the greater POSNA membership? It's interesting. The reason that I left my academic position to go to my uh, job at Kaiser Permanente was predictability. So what uh, Dr. Zane was just talking about is actually a bit of a sticking point for our organization. It's kind of tough to say, I'm going to go for a three o'clock whatever. I have to take a whole day off because it's a large organization and that's just the way the organization functions with the cogs in the wheel. And that can be frustrating. However, it is quite predictable. And what I found in my private practice in combination with academics was that although I had a lot of flexibility, I had very little predictability. And so there were a lot of phone calls. I'm in Los Angeles. So if some fancy famous person's son or grandson or cousin stubs their toe and they're at the fancy ER, I, I will be honest that I would get a phone call on my cell phone and would sometimes go take it because that was the way my practice was set up. And so I was pretty burned out on that. Um, if I could go back and change something for the eight years that I was in that space, I would have boundaried myself far better. So predictability is huge. And then interchangeability. You lose something in interchangeability. You lose the, this is my doctor, Dr. Weiss, and I will only see her and only talk to her. And that's very, very sweet. And I still do have a ton of relationships like that with my patients. But there is also an understanding that um, if I am not available, that somebody else gets put in to help that patient, whether it's another one of the pediatric orthopedists or physician assistants. And our system is very good at that. So the interchangeability and predictability have been really helpful for me in that way. I think we do good. Uh, Rich and I have a lot of concierge friends and family that we could really have a whole practice dealing with our neighbors. Um, but I think that the, one of the advantages is, is also at Children's, we have a large practice and we have a lot of PAs. And so there's a lot of, I do a lot of communication with, oh, I'm not going to be there, but I'm going to have you see so-and-so and I'm not going to be there, but you'll love Jay. He's great. So it is communication that way. I think we're going to move on to some group questions. Um, <laughs> oh, and, and then tell me, I, where did your husband have to go, Jen? So he couldn't make it 
uh, to talk, but what would he say? Predict what he would say if there was one thing you could, you could do to help him. What would he say? I think he would ask me for some more grace and patience. Um, I am known in my professional world of being very forgiving and pretty even keeled. And I would frankly admit, he probably wouldn't say it if he were, if he were here because he would be too kind in public, but I'll say it. And I think that I tell young people that I'm mentoring that if I can hold it together at work, I can probably hold it together at home too and be a good teammate and have some positive energy that I save to bring home. And so I think that that was a big change for me with my energy level when I came to Kaiser Permanente. The predictability really did ease up on my stress. So um, having more patience and grace. I think it's also important to give yourself some space by decreasing obligations somewhat. You have to let yourself have some quiet time too. All right. So we're going to move on to the group question. Amy and Rich almost did not make this forum because they had to get their kids to sports practices. What can we do about the kids' crazy schedules? What is a reasonable level of extracurriculars? Let's go to Amy and Rich. So you guys are all in on the sports because Rich is coaching, but do you think that there's, what would you say to younger parents, but what's the reasonable level of activity? I mean, I don't know what Rich would say, but right now I think COVID like made us a little soft and like sports were shut down for so long and all the sports here in Texas, because the weather is nice right now, are outdoor and they feel safer to us. That we were like, sure, you can do lacrosse, you can do baseball, you can do softball, you can do soccer. You know what I mean? And we were just so excited for them to have a little bit of normalcy. I mean, it's, it is possible we went a little overboard. I don't know what um, my husband thinks about that. But they also both love it. And... I would say that they don't, they don't feel, um, overly, you know, burnt out or stressed, but the schedule is a little crazy and thank God our son's in middle school. So we are allowing him to like carpool with other families, which does help, but you know, Rich is coaching. And so obviously he has to be present for those things. So every morning I'm like, okay, it's Tuesday. Okay. I'm in clinic till this time where's this kid? Where's this kid? And plus we don't have a lot of family here. We don't really have any family here. Um, and we don't have a nanny. So like, we're just basically every morning kind of, we call it ham and egging it and just basically making sure that we got all the bases covered. So I don't know if you think it's too much, Rich, what do you think? No, I think as long as they enjoy doing what they're doing, they're younger. Quincy's 12, Campbell's nine, the sports, they're, they're of no consequence. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're just being active in a bunch of different formats, which, which is fun. I would prefer not to coach sometimes, but sometimes that's just the only way to facilitate that sport happening for our kids. So I'm willing to do that. But no, I mean, they do, they, uh, they do well in school. They have uh, a social life with their friends. And then part of their social life is enjoying practices and stuff. And it's, it's busy, but, but we also don't run into a lot of issues. Our kids use electronics, but they're, but they're not the type of kids that use it excessively. So, and I, and I like to think this part of that is because they're getting their 
uh, stuff done for school. And then they're also involved in all these extracurriculars. And like Amy said, we don't have any family here. We have friends that we'll do stuff with, but again, that kind of evolves around the sports as well. So kind of, kind of fills our schedule and, uh, it'll be soon enough that, uh, they will be off to a college or off to a career. And, uh, we won't have any regrets at that point. I don't believe. Jay and uh, Jane Stacy, what do you think about that in terms of scheduling? I know I know Reese does a lot of of uh, writing and gymnastics. Did you ever put limits on how many things they could do at a particular time, just in the interest of how are we going to get you there? Let's just use this last year as an example. I think that her activities and we slowed down on gymnastics and it entered into high school cheer, and so that actually has been, I think, a saving grace for Reese because. Uh, she had a friend group that she could interact with and outside of school, which was all online for a lot of it. And so that helped her as a freshman in high school, that really helped her, those that extracurricular sports helped her get that friend group. And then she could still interact with, even though they were masked and they were uh, limited a little bit at first in their, what, how many kids they could have. I think that really, really helped that mental side of things from, from COVID uh, this year. As far as scheduling, I would say, we, I don't think we really had, other than Reese's gymnastics and, and horseback riding, we didn't really have more than one sport going on at one time uh, for each child. So No, but horseback riding, when she was horseback riding, I had to juggle how I'm going to get her there, pick up my son, because it was before my son was driving. I mean, before my son started driving, it was very hectic for me. But once he started driving, then no big deal. <laughs> I just had one kid to drive around. Yeah, it was not a big deal at all. But I, I remember back in the day before I go pick them up from school, making sure I had le- uh, dinner packed so they could eat dinner in the car, make sure I had pencils, whatever I needed to in the car, because they would be going from, I'm not kidding, we would have gymnastics, then we'd do taekwondo, and then my son would have something else. I remember there'd be three things in one night. And so they would all be sitting in the car and we would just be eating dinner in the car. It would just be me and the kids eating dinner in the car, driving on. I've got lights turned on in the car so they can read, do whatever they have to for their homework in the car. And I'm driving in the dark, you know? So, I mean, I did that plenty. I mean, I did that a ton when we lived in Florida because my kids at that time were first grade, fifth grade. So they, and they were really, really active. So pencils in the car, and having dinner with you. Tell us uh, one more organizing trick that really made a difference for you, Stacey. If maybe Jake could meet me after work and grab one kid that wasn't busy because one kid's being towed around that's really not doing anything. Right. If you could just come grab a kid just to give him some free time, that'd be great. (laughs) It was just a norm for me and my kids loved it. They never complained, you know. So if if there was ever a complaint that I might reorganize and think what, what do we need to do or what do we need to drop back on, but... They loved being busy every day. They'd be like, what are we doing tonight? They loved it. So, I mean, if my kids are happy, I was happy. Jen Weiss, what other key players do you need to bring in to help? What would you tell a young person? Who are the, besides your spouse, who are the other people you really could not have done without this whole time? So like uh, doctors Cole and Lane, at one point I had not one, but two live-in au pairs and actually a third nanny in the mix. And I will tell you that part of that was for the weekends so that my husband and I could see each other. He's not in medicine, but he he works. And so we did try with less and found that we were ships passing in the night. So 
I will never regret the money that I spent on that. Number two, I am fortunate to have my mother that lives nearby. What I would recommend to people leaning in with parents, um, my mom's 78 now. So you're welcome, mom, for telling everybody. And um, she is absolutely available for anything that we ask. However, I don't want to tire her out. And so I do have a sitter that is more of a driver. And then my mom's there um, should we need her for emergencies and also for the hugs and the love. And so she gets to do the fun stuff. The sitter will bring the kids over with takeout food. And, you know, so that's a pearl that I would say if your parents are leaning in, if you can give them some resources to have it be a little bit less um, labor intensive. And then uh, lastly, I would say that I, I have a hive of uh, parents from the schools. I have three kids and each one of them, I have a hive of parents that have our back that will always um, include my kids and the stuff that they otherwise wouldn't be included in because Jay and I both work. And to those uh, people, I was scared when I was going to become sort of enter the Los Angeles social life. And I thought that we would get ostracized, but it was the opposite. And so I would say my advice to the young um, people sort of building your family is lean in with those people and start it in preschool and you will uh, have extra family members. To ask to the group, uh, is there a purchase uh, like a small product or or time investment you've made uh, or subscription type of thing that you guys have done or found as a family that really helps you your life. So in our household, we have gone through pretty much every meal subscription service there is, whether it's HelloFresh or Blue Apron, but when we kind of switch every few months, because eventually you kind of cycle through, are there any of those sort of things, uh, maybe we'll start with the, the Dr. Lane and Cole, that you guys have invested or trick or found that, that makes life just a little bit easier? Uh, again, cheap or expensive or just time-based? You know, we I love to cook, so I do a lot of cooking myself, but I think, especially during COVID, we've done more and more takeout from local restaurants and kind of getting over the hump of just getting takeout, getting stuff delivered probably more than we did pre-COVID has been a really big thing. And trying to plan ahead a little bit to so that one of us can order it and one of us can pick it up on the way home or whatever it is. Um, I think that's a big thing. And also just a lot of, I would say, kind of quick meal planning during the week. I think that like Lou puts together some fantastic meals during the weekend. And then I would say I spend a, a fair amount of time kind of figuring out what can be quickly put together during the week. But I was, we also have cycled through a number of, of services, but I don't, yeah, as uh, Richard said, no, no magic bullet really to, to cure all the time crunch. One thing I would say though, organizationally, just on the last topic is one thing that we've done and some parents might frown on this, but especially when the kids are pre-elementary school is we're really slow to wean off the nap. And so our kids oftentimes take a big afternoon nap and then they're, they're up really late, but we get to hang out with them. And so, you know, if you're in a case that runs late and you come home, it's not that you've missed seeing your kids that whole day, you get to hang out with them. And maybe it decreases a little bit the adult time that you get to have at the end of the night, but then you still have that nap time during the weekends and you can get things done or hang out or go work out. And so that's kind of one organizational kind of pre-elementary school tip that's worked for us and our family. We have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old and really the seven-year-old's just getting into things now. And this might be selfish on our part, but 
we're really looking for family time. And we just had a discussion a couple of nights ago. It was even last night about whether we should sign up for Philip for things five nights out of the week in the summer. And the kind of general consensus was, yeah, maybe three nights of the week is plenty. And he's seven. He's not going to be a pro soccer player, mountain biker, swimmer. He's going to be fine. And he'll probably honestly be just as happy hanging out in the backyard and playing with his sister or playing catch or whatever. And maybe that's selfish because we want to see him too and not be the shuttle service, but it's, uh, there's a, there's, there's a want to really put brackets on things and not spend all your time driving your kids around. I think COVID has asked us to slow down a little bit and understand about quiet times and kind of, time that's not running around spending time in the car. I had a friend who used to put a crock pot in her minivan that she could plug into the cigarette lighter and that's how she cooked dinner. I would say what I, my advice to be to the younger people would be don't be afraid to get a cleaning lady straight off and try to get a laundry service and get a lawn service. Offloading all of that work is invaluable to try to carve out some time not just with the kids but for yourself. Dr. Weiss, uh, you mentioned kind of spending money to save time. Uh, and that's something, you know, in orthopedics, we're lucky that, that, you, that we are reimbursed. Are there any other ways that, that your family has uh, sort of saved time or preserved time by outsourcing those other types of things? I was actually going to say something quite the opposite, which is that um, my kids, since the time they could walk and follow directions, have participated in cleanup and cooking. And um, I, I don't really cook, but whatever my version of it is. And that becomes more family time. And um, they're now 14, 11, and 9, and they clean up after dinner. My husband and I don't. And they have teamwork going on, and um, it is it, – they're fights, um, absolutely. But they are expected to do that, whether or not there's somebody here that is being paid to do something. Um, they do that. And that started very young at just when they could toddle over and bring their plate in and throw it at the sink and maybe break it. But um, I highly recommend that. My daughter, Gabriella has become a wonderful cook because she wound up having to cook dinner a lot for us. She learned from Rich, not from me. Yes, we, we have many. I have a two and a four-year-old and we have many a 10-minute kind of bringing a plate to the sink, uh, but it's forced. Um, so just uh, we're running a little short on time. So I just wanted to kind of cycle through the group. Um, what is one thing we can do as a orthopedic family or community within pediatrics, orthopedics in general, professionally? What can we, what's one thing as a group or society or community we can do to improve the overall health of the uh, greater orthopedic family? Let's start with the Albrights. I mean, I really think that these kind of forums helping uh, young pediatric orthopedic surgeons balance their own version of a work-life balance. I mean, I I in, so love what I do that it doesn't seem like work for me. And every time I talk to Stacy, I want to be cognizant that I get lost in my work and make sure that uh, I am there for the things that she wants me there for. All right. So just great communication skills. It's really helpful. How about the Macintoshes? I would say not to feel guilty about advocating for, you know, more work-life balance in the beginning of your career and, you know, trying to find that earlier rather than later would be a really positive uh, step forward. Uh, I don't know what my husband has to say about that. I feel like things have progressed well for us. Amy and I were married after undergraduate 
Um, so we were married for 13 years before we had children. So we got a lot of our time out of the way and, and now we're in our kid time. And Amy's job is, it requires a lot of time. She works hard to get that opportunity and uh, you know, someday she'll be retired and uh, maybe we'll have more time then. <laughs> Dr. Weiss, what do you think we can do better as a group? I absolutely think normalizing, prioritizing the family is really important. Um, and I think that um, moving to a world where we're thinking about integration rather than balance uh, between these two things. May I ask my husband to weigh in for his one thing to say? <laughs> Go for it. You know, it, it, uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I might need a minute. All right. Sorry. We'll come back. This would be giving your yes. husband a warning when he's yes. going to be asked a question on a podcast <laughs> when yes, he comes in the door. That's a communication thing we were talking about before. All right, the Zanes, what do you guys think we can do better as a, as a field, as a group? Rich, you go ahead. I've talked a lot. I think uh, you can be unapologetic. Uh, I think that there's been a transition from old school to new school, and the old school was drive, 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 and it was a sort of a bravado that you were going to, miss this and miss that. And I think that in order for the next generation to have balance, this generation has to be unapologetic about what they're going to do. And the reality is from a manager perspective, from a leader of a department, it's the long game, not the short game. And the long game is that people who have balance and are unapologetic and have the ability to be successful in their careers and successful in their family in the long run are far more productive, become far more influential and can influence the next generation. And that's what it is that we're here for. How about Dr. Lane and Cole? Yeah, I think I, I, I couldn't agree more with the communication piece. Understand from your spouse, whether your spouse is an orthopedist or any other profession, understand when they are stressed and try to give them the room they need to decompress a little bit and have some have some alone time. And as Richard suggested, try to be real. And I'm saying this as a physician, Jen's going to be, Jen's more successful academically than I am. So I just said, look, I mean, I'm not going to be an academic superstar. So it probably doesn't make as much sense for me to do that. I should spend more home time. And I think I really like what Jennifer said just about the, and Richard, about just the normalization that you, you shouldn't feel guilty, like you need to tiptoe out of the hospital to go to that game. You should maybe even shout it out and announce that you are going to that game so that it really becomes part of the culture and not taking pride in sending emails at midnight or at 4.30 in the morning, but expecting that people have lives outside of the hospital and just really kind of openly and verbally trying to change the culture. I think one, one thing I feel really lucky about Gillette, where we work, um, is that they're very supportive about different schedules. So both myself and, and a couple of colleagues do work on reduced FTEs. So this year I went to 0.8 FTE and it's been so wonderful just with two young kids and, and the chaos that this world has been the past year. That's been really helpful. And if I think if anything, I've been much more productive uh, in that regard. And I think particularly for uh, young mothers, for working surgeons and stuff like that, I think there's a lot of opportunity we can have within orthopedics. I know it's something that's more normal in other fields, pediatrics, et cetera, but I think there's a lot of opportunity there as well. I wonder if I could give just one warning uh, about the reduced FTE is that your FTE is made up of a lot of different parts of your job. It's not just your clinical work, but if you're in education, you're teaching work, and if you're in academia, research and publication, and there is a you can fall into the trap of reducing your clinical FTE 
then all of a sudden your non-clinical obligations increase and you're essentially giving it away for free. So be really clear about what point eight is. It's point eight of everything. It's not just point eight of your clinical work and then all of a sudden you're 140% of your academic work. Well, I think we've kind of gotten to the end of our day. I really appreciate you guys taking time at the end of your day to talk to everybody about this. I think it's super important. I think COVID has created a watershed year that we'll all remember. And and it's a year that we've taken some time to think about how we work. And we have to wonder, are we going to go back to the way that things were? I don't think so. I think we're going to go forward doing things a little bit differently. Um, I'd like to thank our guest panelists today for sharing their unique insight. And thanks to our audience for listening in. (music) 